0: This is episode 4-8 of Free As In Freedom.
1: Karen failing
0: And I'm Bradley Coon.
1: This is Free as in Freedom.
0: And we, uh, we, we we talked about how we owe it to these people who gave these talks that we broadcast them, and this was our co-organizer's talk. And he's never complained, actually, about the fact that we never heard this talk.
1: Yeah, you would expect him to troll you about it.
0: Yeah, I think that, I think Fontana uh, was not, I think he thinks his talks weren't as good as they were. This was actually a pretty good talk. Yeah. I, I mean, I've seen Fontana give not good talks. Um, but most of them are pretty good, and this was a pretty I think good.
1: He's a, I think he's a really good speaker. You know, I think about the time. I th- I don't remember if we've ever talked about this before here, but I remember there was a, a talk we gave um, early in the days of SFLC, and and I, it was one of the first talks I ever gave, and I was terrible. I was so bad. I remember. I can now superimpose myself back. I can see, be back in my, and see what I saw then and look out onto the, you know, the audience listening to me. And I see people who I now know quite well, but who I only sort of vaguely knew who they were. People who are, you know, who really are, you know, free and open source software luminaries in their own right. And, you know, and I am so embarrassed thinking about like seeing their bored expressions and remembering that I just wanted to cram all this nonprofits orga- so that's what I talked about nonprofits organizational stuff. And I wanted to cram that all in. And um and I was I, I given a terrible talk. And yep.
0: yeah I was I was uh I was required to be in the audience for that and all the talks were pretty bad.
1: I mean you I know I have to admit I I in my defense it I, it wasn't like the none of our talks were terrible. They just we none of us were experienced speakers. So our style was bad um, because we were just not, not well practiced. And, um, you know, I mean, luckily, you know, I, I actually got a lot of great feedback from that talk and there was a lot of good material that went online because of it. So phew, thank goodness. But the top, but you have to start somewhere and, you yeah, know, know and fine. when you know people when they're in that stage, you sort of think of them as being that kind of speaker. And so the first time I ever saw Richard Fontana talk, it was at that same event. And he, like me was not a very experienced speaker at the time and he like me crammed in a lot of really boring stuff about patents and um and you know and when i compare that to his you know how he speaks now which is you know he i think he's a great speaker now so it's funny to sort of so it's like cool to sort of see how far people have come I mean, he's, Yeah. so i think he's a good speaker yeah
0: i agree with you that i mean the first the first time i had to give a talk on the the politics and policy of free software i was very Scary. I I was – because I had to start giving technical talks very early on because they teach you that when you're an undergrad. And I could give – I guess I thought there was such a big difference between – which I guess there kind of are differences between a purely technical content talk and something about a policy issue or something like that. So the first time I gave one, I wrote it all out. Uh, just as text, and then I read it, and so I went way too fast. I, I'm already too fast of a speaker anyway. That's my worst problem I know, with speaking. Me too. And I, but because it was written out, I was just reading it, and it was really bad. And so yeah, I, I gave some bad talks myself. I
1: mean, um, we all have to start somewhere, right?
0: Yeah, it's true. Um, it, it was weird that it was weird that the and the caterers could have spoken there. You know, the ca- uh, the caterers were told not to speak, even though the caterers had lots of speaking experience. So, yeah, I, I didn't speak at that event, as Karen recalls, because I always said it would be like, me speaking would be like the caterer speaking, is what the management said. So, at that point, I had a, hot, a lot of experience speaking about stuff. So, it would have been nice. Dan, Dan Ravisher came up to me after He's like, my talk was horrible, wasn't it? I said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, I
1: mean, I thought, I remember Dan speaking, and he wasn't terrible.
0: He was, he was better than most of you, mainly because he had more experience, the same thing you were just saying.
1: Right, right, right. Evan gave a good talk, as I recall. It was very he, no, not a, really. He's an orator. It was right actually a pretty every bad. It was speaks, actually a pretty bad like,
0: talk by by, by his standards. Um,
1: but he's. You know, it doesn't like. It almost doesn't matter what he says. He's like. He has that rhetoric, and it gets people
0: lots fired Lots, up. lots of uh, lots of flash, <laughs> not much content.
1: I don't know. Anyway, whatever. so.
0: so but Fontana's talk. You know,
1: every time I bring that up, I'm sorry I brought. It up.
0: I don't know why you bring it up. You know what I'm <laughs> well because say. I was
1: talking about something quite focused, and you. Anyway.
0: I, yeah, I'm always going to say what I'm going to say about that particular event. Um, yeah. And, and the worst part is I was required anyway, to sit in the so, audience. That was, that was so, the pain. I had to listen to all so, of it. That was so painful.
1: To get back to the
0: uh, But the, Fontana's the talks talk, have gotten so much better yeah. over the years. And well, I, he's given
1: I, a lot of them. And- you know,
0: I have some issues with his, his topic for various reasons, which I'll talk about after we listen to his talk. Our next speaker
2: is Richard Fontana. Don't don't clap until the end. Um, So is everyone Yeah. Um, I didn't expect anyone to show up, but I guess people did. So so I I, uh, have to explain. uh, I always hate, as I say in, in many talks, I hate biography slides, but I have to explain um, th- this, is, this is my professional biography for um, the free software free slash open source uh, part of my legal career, um, and it's relevant to this talk. Uh, so I've been, uh, my day job is at Red Hat, uh, I've been at Red Hat for five years on Red Hat's open source licensing council. Uh, before 2008, uh, I was at the Software Freedom Law Center for a few years. And I work primarily on the drafting of the gplv 3 license family with uh, Richard Stallman and Evan Moglin. And and this talk uh, is sort of not really understandable on a, a personal level about knowing that biographical detail. Having said that, I want to make a very um, <laughs> important disclaimer that this has nothing to do with my job at Red Hat whatsoever. Um, it has nothing to do with the, the work I did in the past for the Free Software Foundation or SFLC, except in the sense that those experiences had, you know, kind of a personal impact on me uh, and continue to do so. Uh, and this is not, you know, this is not legal advice. I am a lawyer, but, but I'm not your lawyer. And, uh, so this talk is about something called Copy 11 It's a license that I, uh, a licensed drafting project that I started uh, back in uh, July of last year. So I would, I would sum it up as an effort to, to transparently and collaboratively draft a, a new, simple, uh, legally sound, GPL-like, and by that I mean strong copyleft, uh, free software license. And secondarily, or maybe not so much secondarily, uh, but another aspect of it is I see it as a, a, a vehicle for for exploring new ideas for drafting free software licenses and for, you know, in the substantive sense, um, and also the, in the procedural sense, how the process for drafting things like free software licenses, how do we do that um, from a uh, process perspective? I think it's a its a kind of experiment for looking at new ideas in that respect. Uh, I initially described it as a fork of GPLv3. I'm not sh- sure whether I had I, I'm not sure whether I, I, I knew what I meant by that at the time, uh, but this, this was sort of interpreted in different ways by different people, and, and it sounded kind of a, a more negative than I uh, had intended. Uh, but at any rate, um, it really can't be called um, a fork of GPLv3 at this point, because it's the, the current license text is dramatically different from, from GPLv3. The interesting thing is that I started out with the text of GPLv3, so it started out as a fork and then turned into a what is sort of a total rewrite that is somehow... Uh, traceable back to the text of GPLA-3. Um, so it started in July 3rd of last year, and uh, a formally-numbered release came out uh, a week ago uh, just in time for POSDOM. So, uh, <laughs> yes, we, we're using uh, semantic versioning. Uh, so it's version 0.1.0. Uh, so uh, just to explain what I mean by strong copula, because uh, Bradley Kuhn, and there are no photos of Bradley Kuhn in this presentation, Uh, Yeah, Karen is is clapping, I've been criticized for that in the past. Um, I think Bradley and I might disagree on what the definition of strong copyleft is, so I want to clarify what I I mean by that, and other people may have a a different understanding of what that is. So first of all, copyleft to me is a legal technique that is used in many free software licenses, uh, pioneered in the GPL, and basically the idea, as I would express it, is that if you take software uh... and you modify it or enhance it uh... and you distribute it uh, first of all if you're distributing in binary form you have an obligation to provide some some degree of source code uh, that's modifiable by the, the users downstream second of all there's a, a legal well there's a couple of legal requirements one is that uh... For at least the source code, and in some, for some licenses, the binary and the source code, depending on how you interpret it, uh, certainly for the GPL, ordinarily I would say it's the binary and the source code, they have to be distributed under the same license uh, that you passed on upstream to them. Uh, there may be some alternative licenses, such as, you know, you're distributing under GPLv2 or later, going downstream, it's understood to have the permission to distribute under GPLv3 or later, but so basically, you know, a similar license. Uh, there are some copyleft licenses that only impose these requirements for source code. Um, and the GPL has this uh, provision, um, this requirement to not impose further restrictions, which is part of the um, what I see as the copyleft requirement. So that's that's basically um, an attempt to, uh, to define copyleft on the fly. When I say strong copyleft, all I mean is the FSF's um, The FSF influence notion that the GPL applies in a scope sense, C-O-P-E, scope, uh, to something bigger than licenses like the LGPL, which the FSF drafted after uh, it had drafted earlier versions of the GPL, or licenses like the Mozilla Public License, which are, are in a sense, a very minimalistic uh, kind of copyleft license. So the uh, the MPL is uh, more or less scoped according to the source file. The source file is kind of the unit of copyleft. The GPL tries to do something much bigger. The GPL tries to make it very difficult to make um, proprietary enhancements of, uh, of free software. That's really kind of the design goal of GPL. And so the GPL has to, to do that. The GPL has has this um, understanding in it and in its interpretation, in its interpretive history, that um, the copyleft requirement um, applies to a fairly broad scope and and uh, figuring out what that means is is uh, not necessarily easy but um, I don't mean uh, when I say strong copy life I don't mean relative restrictiveness uh, or non restrictiveness of features other than this scope idea so uh, so I'm talking about you know GPL versus LGPL I'm not talking about this, uh, you know, Bradley said, might, might have said yesterday in our panel about AGPL, that um, or at least you've said this um, in talks we've had together that you consider AGPL, AGPLv3 to be a stronger copyleft than than the GPL. That is not the sense of GPL of strong copyleft that I mean, because in my view, GPLv3, GPLv2, and v 3 have the same notion of copyleft scope built into them. Um, some people might disagree with that. Um, there's also an assumption in this project that, that strong copyleft is something that you can legally implement and that it's worthwhile to try to do so. So there are lawyers out there who believe that um, strong copyleft, you know, the, the GPL as, as, as commonly interpreted by, by its, um, its advocates uh, is, is sort of legally impossible. There, there are a number of lawyers who say this. Uh, I think there are some developers who say this. This is not this is not my view, and this is not the assumption of, of this project. The assumption of this project is that it makes sense, and there's a way to implement it. Uh, figuring out what that is 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 one of the goals of the project. So, um, the there are certain goals of this uh, of this effort that that have developed over time. It, it wasn't entirely clear at the beginning that all of these would be goals, but uh, but basically. Um, brevity and conciseness, making it a simple license. You know, GPLv3 is a very complex license. I wanted to, to um, try to create something similar, but very simple. Uh, something that developers and lawyers can understand, because I, I often heard <coughs> criticism about GPLv3, uh, often from developers, that it was hard for them to understand. Um, I heard from lawyers that it was hard for, for them to understand, so that bothered me. Something that has a very clear structure, uh, and th- this, this talk's a little hard to appreciate if you haven't actually looked at the text of these licenses um, of, of the GPL, GPLv2, gplv <laughs> 3 to, to get a sense of what, I, what I'm kind of getting at here, at, at, you know, the degrees of complexity. But, but making it a clear license, a consistent license, um, a, I would describe GPLv3 especially as a very baroque license. Uh, uh, Evan Moglen once described it that way and I, I agree with that. Uh, I don't, I'm trying to draft something in this project that is very, very non baroque uh, Another goal is to to make the legal implementation of the core copyleft features of that you see in the GPL um, as legally airtight as, uh, as possible. So I'm not, I'm not saying there's a problem in the, in the GPL, but I want to explore ways of, um, you know, just sort of like starting from, pr- starting over and looking at the problem anew, are there any ways that we could um, make this as, as legally sound as possible? Uh, there's uh, this separate issue of proprietary licensing which we were talking about yesterday in our panel on the AGPL. Uh, so proprietary re-licensing is Bradley Kuhn's term for what's often called uh, dual licensing in the uh, business model sense, a dual, usually copyleft and proprietary, licensing It's a, a, a business model uh, that's been common in the open source era. Uh, and I think this is a very problematic business model, and it has had problematic consequences for the fate of Copyleft and the GPL. And so I, I, even before I ever thought of doing something, I guess I thought, um, you know, a future version of the GPL should probably do some, try to do something about this this problem, even if it... There's some signs that it's going away, in a sense, as a, as a kind of business phenomenon. But but it still exists, and um, and this is a kind of challenge. I mean, I've had talks with with uh, Bradley. Uh, he, he has said that you can't solve this problem in a copyleft license, and so I I saw it as a as a challenge that to try to figure out how to do something. Uh, I, I also um, oh also you know even though there's no no photos of Bradley, this is also influenced by Bradley. So so so, so enforcement and, and compliance. I I I believe very strongly that. Um, the GPL is is a kind of enforced license, and and uh, and this is something that is of, uh, clearly of, of great concern to many GPL licensors and developers who use the GPL. And so I, I think maybe there's there's ways we can make the license easier to to enforce and easier to comply with if you're uh, the licensee. Uh, and also, you know, I've sort of said this an ID, It could be a, a way for exploring new ideas for um, features of free software licenses more generally. And I also believe that um, these free software licenses are not, they're not anti-commercial, of course, so, so they should be um, commercially reasonable. That's, that's a term that, that we lawyers, at least in the U.S., like to use, and it doesn't have any clear meaning. But, but basically, um, you know, I, I sort of think that there, there's a way to, to, to write a GPL-like license that is commercially reasonable. And I'm not suggesting that the existing versions of the GPL are not commercially reasonable. I think they are. But I think that this is a, this is, I, I don't want to deviate from that goal. So to explain where this uh, comes out of, so I mean this this is not a new idea to to draft a, a non GPL copyleft license. There have been lots of copyleft licenses drafted since GPL v two, which which became the dominant uh, copyleft license. The LGPL actually can be seen as as one example of this. That the FSF was involved in, in drafting, although Cygnus may have been involved as well. We don't actually know the, tr- <laughs> the truth of that. Um, but um, you know one thing that's different about this, so all, pretty much all the mainstream attempts, not counting like AGPL V one and not counting the the you know the FSF's own successor versions of GPL, uh, the mainstream attempts to write copyleft licenses since oh. GPL two have been weak copyleft licenses. So so even weaker than the LGPL. So and, and again, weak by weak I mean that issue of scope. So so the MPL is a good example. The MPL was a very influential license, even though it was never uh, widely adopted, because there were, there were many kind of corporate vanity licenses that were modeled on it. Um, and and they all preserved that feature of the MPL that, that defined copyleft scope according to the, basically according to the source file, which is a very kind of minimalistic way of defining scope. So these are all weak copyleft licenses, so I'm, I'm trying to draft a strong copyleft license. Uh, and the other thing is that, that, that these <coughs> other attempts are... I don't know if this is that significant because because of what I said about this not really being a fork, but but these other attempts were based, were attempts to, to write new copyleft licenses from scratch. The MPL is a pretty good example. This Mitchell Baker uh, wanted to to write her own copyleft license uh, from scratch. You know some influences of the GPL, but um, but I wanted to start with the GPL text uh, for for better or worse. The biggest influence on this uh, project for me was. Something that Allison Randall wrote in 2007, just as GPLv3 was being wrapped up, she uh, wrote a a very strong critique of GPLv3 in its near-final form, uh, called GPLv3 Clarity and Simplicity, where she argued that that the FSF basically um, drafted a a very confusingly complex license that. developers would would just not understand and uh only you'd have to be a lawyer to understand the license and this is a a, a powerful critique of of gplv3 uh you know by that time there was really no way to kind of incorporate that feedback because the FSF very much wanted to wrap up gplv3 it was actually already six months or so behind its schedule but this had had a big effect on my thinking and it (coughs) continued to do so for many years Um, a little less influential but something i remember from that time as well was a professor from the University of Washington Law School and a former Microsoft in-house counsel, Bob Gamolkiewicz, wanted to, uh, to um, try to write a, a, uh, an open source license uh, that, in his view, would do the things that the GPL does, GPLv2 does, uh, but in very simple language. And, and uh, this may have come out of his experiences at Microsoft, because actually Microsoft uh, if you've looked at Microsoft consumer, uh, you know shrinkwrap software licenses, they're actually the, the recent ones are very simple and easy to read, uh, and and so th- th- this license, the simple public license, is in that spirit. It's a very, very simple copyleft license. I don't, I don't think he succeeded in writing a GPL-like license. I don't interpret it as a, as a, um, doing what the GPL tries to do. But nonetheless, the spirit is, is somewhat similar to what I'm, what I, I ended up uh, wanting to do. So this also more immediately uh, descends from my talk a year ago at FOSNA, where I, t- I talked about this uh, meme that the GPL is in decline. And, and it, the concluding part of this talk, in the concluding part of this talk, I, I suggested that there might be some decline in, uh, you know, uh, use of the GPL, popularity of the GPL among developers, and that, that the complexity, particularly of GPLv3, but GPL generally, might be one reason for this. Uh, and increasingly what I saw is a vacuum uh, uh, of uh, community license interpretation. So what I mean by that is that the historically, um, Richard Stallman especially and and the FSF generally played a very active role in license interpretation and it I believe it retreated from that (coughs) over the past several years and I believe that created this kind of interpretive vacuum uh, that made uh, it harder for uh, developers and users to to kind of uh, understand how to um, apply the terms of the license to particular fact situations. It's speculation. <coughs> it's consistent with some things I've heard anecdotally, but it's just I can't say that there's like, hard evidence of this. But this is, this is something that, that I thought might be the case and that it might be contributing to a competitive disadvantage for the GPL, an unnecessary one because there's no reason why the GPL has to be complex in my view. Uh, I mean, it has to be more complex than the simplest licenses, for sure, but, it, but I'm not sure why GPLv3, for example, has to be twice as long as GPLv2, for example. Uh, I, I also argued in this talk that, um, you know, there was this, as a result of this complexity, there's this atmosphere, this undesirable atmosphere of what I call inscrutability and um, hyper-legalism that surrounded the GPL, which really started to, to bother, bother me. and uh, uh, actually, this Alison Randall was getting at this in her 2007 essay, uh, so, so I think I was influenced by the things she had said. She also talked about the, the potential for disempowering developers. You know, I don't know if she exactly put it that way, but, but I began to see that as well, that perhaps developers were feeling disempowered by a license that was kind of too big for, the, for them to easily understand. And maybe developers all along, or maybe developers, uh, you know, the newer generation of developers preferred for licenses to be relatively simple and minimalistic. Uh, And so I said in this talk that maybe we should start thinking about what GPL v 4 should look like, and that maybe it could, uh, maybe it would be a license that the the FSF wouldn't draft, because I I didn't anticipate that the the FSF would draft a new version of the GPL anytime soon. Uh, And I said in this (coughs) talk that it could be as short as the Apache License 2.0, which today is a pretty popular license in some communities. So um, the basic assumption I made is that these licenses are not, Perfect, And I I sometimes think that there are some people who think they are perfect for some reason. I don't quite understand why. All, All of these commonly used, not to mention the uncommonly used, free software licenses are very imperfect. They all have flaws, and this is unavoidable because they're the product of human invention. And so that means they can be improved. And I don't think that the... The improvement should be monopolized by particular privileged entities. I feel that very strongly. That's a basic assumption here. That that we we don't have to wait for the FSF to take another 15 years to write GPLv4. We can start thinking about what a similar license might look like now. Uh, oh, another assumption is that you know so so. Th- there is this view that maybe some of this doesn't really matter because developers tend not to read the licenses they use. And there's probably something to that, unfortunately. But I actually do believe that enough developers do read the licenses they use or think about using or encounter in the software they use. Enough developers do that I think that that this does, these issues do matter. So if, 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 it, were, if it were the case that developers just don't read any any licenses that they use, that would be highly problematic, but it also would make make this um, effort kind of less relevant. Um, to, Two things that really sparked my uh, starting this project. Uh, <coughs> that's Brett Smith. Brett Smith left the Brett Smith was the license uh, compliance engineer at the FSF and someone who I got to know when I was at SFLC and I continued to to have uh, contact with him when I was at Red Hat. And I really saw him as um, kind of the the legal genius at at the FSF and someone who had a lot of um, knowledge and good ideas about GPL interpretation. It was kind of keeping the that historical. Uh, continuum of interpretation alive and then he he left and I saw uh, maybe unfairly I, saw, I, I was very worried about this and I thought uh, and I felt kind of despair about this that the FSF had lost its its, um, its greatest legal authority right I mean, and Richard Stallman you could say is, is the greatest authority but but he uh, Richard Stallman, I think had withdrawn from an active role in, in license interpretation and, and, and Brett Smith was someone who who t- took on a role like that, but he he left. And the other thing, this is a reference to Bradley, so Bradley, um, in a a broadcast of a a longer version of the talk I gave at FOSM last year, Bradley, in some commentary, accused me of being a mere gadfly. I didn't say mere gadfly. But you meant, you meant, you meant mere (laughs) gadfly.
3: You
2: said... He, he's just a gadfly because he talks about how the GPL is too complex, but I don't see him drafting any licenses.
3: You so, you did say that. Like that. Oh my God! <laughs> 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 this, is,
2: this is one one possible gadfly, the deer fly. So sort of,
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's what thinks are Um So it, it's, it's more on the you know why why am I actually doing this? I'm tempted to say, say why not, but but um, I know that's not satisfactory. Um, so if if there is this you know building on my talk from last year, if strong copyleft is in disfavor, maybe we need a brand new effort. Maybe we need to just kind of start over. Maybe there's too much um, historical baggage associated with the FSF, associated with with Stallman and and Eben Moglen and 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 the existing you know versions of the GPL. Maybe there's all this historical baggage that is burdening the GPL somehow, and and we have to kind of uh, you know start over. And that might you. Give us an advantage. Um, to, so I it, I have this view that there is this optimal balance between copyleft and non-copyleft. and um, if this is out of balance, maybe we need an effort to to correct that. And, and so that's that's sort of an idea. The the other thing is you know e- even in, in if no one uses copyleft next as a license, it might still influence the next generation of licenses that people do draft and use, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's the process side too, uh, which I'll get into, uh, that it'll influence expectations for how you draft licenses. And, and there's, a, there's an element of fun, uh, at least I felt that at, at some times. And, and a very personal things. is that, uh, for me, I worked on v 3 as, as my, the primary part of my job for a year and a half, and it, it still feels like it, it was never finished to me. I thought that the episode should have gone on. And continue to improve it. Maybe, especially after that essay by Alison Randall in in May, I, I uh, remember saying this to Evan. You know, maybe we should take another six months and keep working on this. And and the, of course, the FSF didn't want to do this. But um, for me, it will it will just always feel like a living thing that is unfinished. And that's just a very personal thing. So, the, um, if you haven't looked at it, and if you haven't looked at at GPLV three, GPLV two. You want to be able to appreciate this but so I, I want to give you some sense sort of, of, of how it's um, different in style it's basically very short and tries to be copy next. it tries to be very um, very simple and easy to understand at least that's the goal um, one example is word counts which i talked about in my talk last year um, if you do word counts of these are various licenses um, you know GPL family plus I, I decided to use MPL 2.0 just because it's it's an it's an interesting recent relatively recent License that's been drafted, and the Apache license is kind of interesting because it's it's popular <coughs> as a non-copyleft license. Um, Copyleft next 0.1.0 is is shorter than all of these other licenses, uh, much shorter than GPLv3. Uh, so line counts. By that I mean, um, if you look at the canonical text version of the license, this is kind of a sense of like wh- how visually complex it looks if you try to read the, the text form of the license you know, maybe a questionable measure. But again, you, you see that it's kind of, copyleft next is, is sort of, you know, shorter than the Apache license in a line length sense and much shorter than GPLv3. And, you know, maybe the most questionable measure, but I think still valuable is license section size. So I, what I did was I took the average section of, uh, average um, line length of numbered sections of license and, and this is what you get. So what this shows is, um, at least, is that copyleft next as currently drafted has uh, uh, very short, easily digestible sections, where, where something like GPLv3 has, it's characterized by relatively long sections. I mean, there are some that are longer than others. But I think, uh, you know, the assumption is that the, the longer a section is, the harder it is to digest. Um, the MPL, is, is sort of unfair measure for MPL2.0 because that has a lot of numbered um, subsections. So maybe that that's unfair.
0: And short lines. Did you try counting GPL without the, all the four examples as such and so forth (laughs) no i did not yeah (laughs) so
2: um the substantively the i I do think it is interesting that i I drafted this not from scratch uh but by starting out with the gpl v3 text and and i sort of it's understandable why i would want to do that but uh i suppose i could have started from scratch and would have ended up with something maybe similar but um what i did was i just cut kept cutting things out, because my goal was, I wanted to get down to the length of the Apache license. Um, so I went through the text of the GPL, v 3 and um, looked for things that could be cut out. So, and everything I looked at, I, I would apply this test. Is, is the incremental complexity associated with the addition of this, this sentence or this paragraph worth it? Is it, is it, is it worth it um, making the license more complex, having this, this in, or do we gain more by taking it out? Um, and, you know, one of the features of, of this license, CopyLift Next, is that it's outbound GPL-compatible. So I, I saw that as kind of a, a, a safety measure, that it's, it gave room to experiment. Because if you care a lot about, for example, um, Bradley cares about the anti, um, what he would call anti-teboization, well, maybe you wouldn't uh, call anti-lockdown. anti-lockdown revisions of GPLv3. Th- those are taken out of, of CopyLeft next but that's okay uh, because it's GPLv3 compatible so you, you know you, you can you can use copyleft next code in GPLv3 uh, works uh, and they'll be covered by the GPLv3 copyleft under many circumstances uh, I also think that being able to rely on the background history of the GPL allows a license to be similar so so I think the GPLv3 made a mistake in this respect because it it may have uh, tried too much to codify that interpretive history. It wasn't really necessary to codify it because GPLv2 has gotten by pretty well without that, obviously, without that codification because it was a post GPLv2 interpretive history. Um, like all, you know, an example is uh, easily understandable is all the interpretation that the FSF puts in its um, FAQ about, about the GPL. I mean, that's part of the um, interpretive history of the GPL. And it works, it helps un- us understand what GPLv2 means. It's not perfect, but, but um, you know, we can rely on that. If copyleft-next is a successor to the GPL, it can rely on this interpretive history. Um, just some things that I, I, I deleted. So there's lots of stuff, you know, there's, there's superfluous phrases, there's things that are sort of obviously true in the GPLv3 text. There's just totally aspirational statements in, in GPLD3 that we don't need. There's, uh, there are clauses in GPLD3 that I'm, I don't remember the rationale for them, and I'm certain that Richard Stallman and Evan Mowland don't remember the rationale for them. So if we don't remember what they're there for, they, we don't need them. Uh, there are provisions that, that, um, they, they, that don't have any counterpart in GPLD2 or other free uh, software open source licenses uh, and that's, that itself is not a reason enough not to have them, but it, it's, enough, it's a reason to raise questions about them. If no other license needs a particular provision, why is GPLv3 needed, right? So, so why should copyleft next need it? Um, there are some that seem to have served basically no purpose since 2007. Uh, there are some provisions that really could be offloaded to an FAQ. Um, that's actually some, in a way how GPLv3 was drafted. It took things that were in the, the FSAF's FAQ and put them in the license. Um, and I, I won't go through, you know, these are just some examples. If you're familiar with the GPL 3 text, you might know what some of these things are. You actually probably wouldn't know them because some of them are my own nicknames for these provisions. Why do you
0: blame James for the acceptance clause?
2: I don't blame, James James Fazil uh, suggested deleting the acceptance clause because early on in this project, James Fazil was active when it was on GitHub. And one of the things he, he filed a GitHub issue saying we don't need an acceptance clause. Uh, and he's right, if the FSF, uh, the FSF has insisted for years that, that the GPL is a license but not a contract, acceptance is a contract law concept. So if they really want, if, they, if we really believe these are not contractual things, and I'm not gonna take position on that, um, why why on earth do you need a, an acceptance clause? It takes up you know, three or four lines, so you can save space. Um, oh, I have to mention the BitTarn distribution Clause because Bradley used to talk about that a lot. This it's totally ridiculous um, clause in, in my <laughs> opinion because GPLv2 gets by without it. And and Bradley, you know, you I remember you said that you violate GPLv2 if you use BitTorrent bit for distribution ordinarily, and that's absurd because because no one would ever enforce in that situation, right? Uh, so we, it, it's just it's it's in some ways the BitTorrent distribution clause in GPLv3 is, is an example for me an emblematic example of, of everything that that is suboptimal about GPLv3. Uh, we don't need a BitTorrent distribution clause. No other free software license, including GPLv2, has that clause, and you know, things, things work fine. Uh, <coughs> the section, all the whole, section seven, additional permissions, I, I used to love this section of GPLv3 because mm-hmm. I, I drafted so much of it and thought so much about it, but it's really not necessary. Additional permissions are things that, that you can obviously put, impose on a program for which you have copyright permission. The initial requirements are things that come out of the interpretive tradition which can be uh encapsulated in an FAQ they don't have to be um codified into a license so it's, it's just not necessary uh some things I, that are more interesting than others that I that I deleted to you know to get down to that goal of getting to the size of the Apache license so this this anti um anti-anti-circumvention clause um which was one of the innovative features of GPLv3 this, is, this targets um, a provision of the DMCA and a corresponding provision uh, of um, uh, EU law. And uh, it's, it's a clause that, you know, I understand the political reason for it. Uh, the the gplb 3 was drafted in a background of, of concern about, um, about uh, DRM and um, the use of law to extend copyright and so forth. But if you actually look at this provision, it, it doesn't really do very much. It's a very narrow provision. It's probably never been invoked. It's a, a circumstance triggering its use. It's probably never arisen. So it serves no real purpose. And so it can be deleted. And I, and I, I developed a, a view that the, if something just has a purely political value, it's not worth keeping in the license. So it just makes things more complex. Um, probably very controversially, all the patent-related things that were added to GPLv3, with the exception of the, the Express Patent License Grant, which is in copyleft-next, I have deleted. All of those Microsoft Novell provisions are gone. Uh, there's a very complex provision that I call, uh, oh, what's my nickname thing for it? The, the son of downstream shielding clause. <laughs> uh, th- this is gone. <laughs> this is such a narrow, narrow provision. It, it, it just, it's almost, essentially a no-op and it's it takes up about 10 lines it's completely unnecessary uh the i so Bradley was upset about this I took out the anti-tivoization provisions or anti-lockdown provisions uh, because uh, I mean it's tempting to do so because they take up so much space they're they're (laughs) half of the longest revision of the license and my view is look if you really care about this so so what influenced me was that um uh you know, I, I found that developers who liked GPLv3, as many uh, I, I, I know, many developers who do. Most of them don't, didn't really care about these provisions, in my experience. I'm sure some some do, right? But um, but I found that most developers, at who were actually read GPLv3 and were attracted to it, they cared more about those patent provisions, which admittedly i mostly deleted. But um, <laughs> but, but I, I found that, that this was not this was more of a concern for the FSF from a policy perspective than for even developers who ended up adopting GPLv3. Obviously, a concern for some. But you, it's, you know, if, you want, if you really care about them, you can use GPLv3. So GPLv3 may be a good license if this is the most important thing for you. Uh, if you're familiar with the Liberty or Death clauses, um, this is one of the most famous versions of GPLv2. It's GPLv2, Section 7, GPLv3, Section 12. Um, the, the version in GPLv3 is actually narrower, in a sense, than the, arguably than the version in GPLv2, even if you don't believe that, um, it is interesting that I have preserved it in a sense, but I've made it, I've turned it into one sentence. Um, so just a very famous provision that, that's become one sentence. Okay. Um, so more substantive stuff. Uh, I, uh, I believe that there is a, a very simple um, deep structure to the GPL behind the text. And I wanted to, to try to um, expose this. So the way I see, when you get, say, a copy of the Linux kernel from Linus Torvalds, um, this, is, this is applicable to a project that has multiple copyright holders, multiple licensors. What you're actually, what's actually going on is that you're getting um, multiple GPLs. This is, this is not obvious, um, and people don't really think of it this way, but it's, I think it's important to kind of try to think of it this way. You're, you're getting multiple GPLs from all the upstream licensors. And you only see one copy of the text because it's a uniform text but you're getting multiple GPLs and you're only getting one immediate GPL from Linus Torvalds. And um, the d- people who <coughs> just distribute without any modification are licensees who are passing through the upstream license. So there's a provision in GPLv2 and GPLv3 called the automatic licensing clause that kind of uh, expresses this concept. Uh, so uh, this is in GPLv2 and GPLv3. It's, it's, you, can, you can get to this um, <coughs> understanding, but it's, it's, not, it's not simply uh, stated uh, in, in a way that, that it could be. So, CopyLeft Next starts out, you know, without even any definitions, because I decided to put the definitions at the bottom, uh, saying, you know, doing what a number of other licenses do, um, Creative Commons licenses, the Apache license, um, a number of uh, other free licenses, uh, do this much, kind of more conventional approach to writing licenses. You start out saying, you know, what you, or well, actually what we, I use the term we for the licensor, what we are giving you. We are giving you a copyright license. Uh, uh, on the work that we provide, we are giving you a patent license on the work that we provide. Much simpler than the way things are expressed in in GPLv2 and GPLv3. Um, and GPLv2, there's no express patent license. So, so but much simpler than GPLv3. And and but but not altering the policy. Uh, so yeah, the patent license is is intended to have identical scope to the GPLv3 patent license. But it is much much easier to understand, and I think presented in a way that is less likely to lead to the kind of fud um, around GPLv3 that I have encountered in in my day job from time to time. So it's it, the the scope is not any narrower, but it's just just by rewording and restructuring things, it looks a lot different, and it looks commercially reasonable. It looks like what you might find in a in a in a standards agreement, right? Uh, what was I saying there? Uh, so how do you implement strong copy love? So it's, I don't deviate very strongly from the basic approach of, of GPLv2 and GPLv3. It's done by, by wording and definitions. Um, GPLv3 is a big improvement over GPLv2. Uh, so I, I have a new defined term called derived work. And so this, um, Till Yeager yesterday gave a talk on, on what a derivative work means, uh, if, uh, at least under European law. And uh, I, I think actually th- this term derivative work uh, is used in GPLv2 and has dominated le- lawyer discourse about interpreting <coughs> GPLv2 copyright, uh, uh, copyleft rather. Uh, but actually it, it's 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 not, in my opinion, a correct reading of GPLv2. And and uh, GPLv3 intentionally got rid of such terminology because, it was, because lawyers pointed out it was confusing. Um, Richard Stallman didn't mean, uh, in my opinion, he didn't mean to identify copyleft scope with the scope of derivative works under U.S. copyright law. He meant something a little broader than that. And and if you look, if you read gplv 2, section 2 closely enough, you will see this, that that um, what he was, I think, trying to do was get this at this notion of containers. So, so uh, he wanted to try to make sure that um, it was hard to proprietize enhancements to a free program. So to do that, you know, he, he, he would use language of... Uh, there's a word, there's language of, of containership in GPLv2 section 2 that um, um, tries to get at this concept. And, and GPLv3 tried to improve on this, but I think this is, you know, I've tried to improve on this further with this defined term. I introduced a new term, uh, defined term called separate work, uh, which actually is based partly on this, the, this uh, otherwise very complex definition of aggregate um, in GPLv3 and then partially to get at the system library exception in the GPL. Uh, and then I, I, there's this mere aggregation clause in the GPLv2 and GPLv3, and um, it's much more complex in GPLv3, uh, unnecessarily so. Uh, but I define mere aggregation as simply an aggregation of a derived work and a separate work. So 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 suddenly it becomes it becomes very simple to to kind of at least at the level of definition to say what the copyleft scope is. Uh, that, it, that it's it's limited by um, this concept of mere aggregation, and that's that's implicit in in the GPL in GPLv2, but it's not it's never stated as clearly as it could be. Uh, so, what about the goal of increasing uh, the ability to enforce and, and to make compliance easier? Um, there is a, a severability clause added, uh, that, so so that's a, a clause that basically says. Uh, 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 that uh if any it's a standard clause and uh, you find in contracts and also legislation that says that if any portion of the of, of the uh, of the license uh, or whatever uh, the instrument is is unenforceable you you reform it to the extent necessary to make it enforceable um there's protection there's just by some worrying changes i think there's mm-hmm. there's stronger protection against upstream license uh, revocation uh there's a you know the, the obligations to what you have to do when you distribute the software under under uh, copyleft nexus is is simplified and and rationalized relative to the GPL Um, so you don't have an affirmative obligation to put in copyright notices for example which no one does Uh, instead you have an obligation to preserve notices uh the object code distribution requirements which are the most important thing from from enforcement perspective are are simplified Um, instead of the three-year written offer option so so the three-year written offer option is eliminated as something that is sort of outdated and kind of you know sort of uh, uh, not really necessary. Um, you can point to uh, URL where source is available. The objection, I guess, is that, that some people won't have network access, but that just is not realistic enough in in most cases to, to be justify, to justify uh, a much more complex provision. Um, so corresponding source definition is really in some ways the most important one. Uh, it it <laughs> moves back to the gplb 2 approach, because I think it's, it's clearer. But in discussions with Bradley, uh, I, um, I didn't accept all of Bradley. Bradley submitted some patches to, to this part, which I mostly rejected. But, um, rejected. No, because you, mm-hmm. you added this, this um, requirement to provide a list of separate works, which you were talking about, I think, yesterday in the compliance panel, and but, this idea that, that you, should, you should provide information on the build environment. And th- I think that's, that's something that neither version of the GPL does today, but but is a good idea. So so it's a this is an advance over earlier versions of the GPL. Uh, so another thing is this this notion of copyleft misuse, which is partly the proprietary relicensing problem. That's Martin Mikos and uh, Larry Augustin, by the way. So um, I talk about proprietary relicensing. I, I blame proprietary relicensing uh, partly for uh, for any possible decline in. Use of the GPL because I think it tarnished the reputation of the GPL. And so, and I really wanted to kind of meet that challenge of seeing if a copyright license could do something about this problem. So, and all previous licenses, you know, copyright licenses have ignored this problem. So, the solution is, is actually very simple, although it's really hard to draft. So, the solution is basically if we do proprietary relicensing, the copyleft goes away and you have a BSD style license. Uh it's, it's not a totally original idea because it was influenced by the, the old treaty with trolltech that um, KDE made uh, where cute uh, uh, would be uh, would be placed under a BSD license if um, trolltech failed to release a free version of cute uh, of, of uh, but it's, it goes a step further and it's, so it's intended to discourage it's not meant to be like an, in a sense an airtight uh, requirement rather it's intended to, to keep, that, you know, that that sort of, anyone inclined towards that sort of business model away from this license. So to keep this this license pure. Uh, Very difficult to draft. I'm very dissatisfied with its current drafting and uh, stylistically it's very um, GPLv3-ish. The other misuse uh, is the, the provision is the the anti-badge work provision. So so very unfortunately GPLv3 uh, towards the end of its drafting phase added uh, this authorization to impose uh, a limited form of what was known at the time as Badgeware requirements. These are requirements to, to put in these powered by logos on uh, modified versions of software, uh, really designed uh, cynically, you know, to, to kind of discourage um, modification by you know commercial users. And uh, this was a this was a, a terrible uh, addition to GPLv3. This is this is uh, precluded in Copyleft Next. Because the provision that says you have to preserve legal notices makes clear that logos or other graphical images are not author attribution. So, so actually, so it does say that you have to preserve, preserve author attributions, but um, but logos are not author. <coughs> attributions. Actually, some discussions with Pam uh, had a big influence on me with respect to these provisions. Uh, so the approach to upgradeability. Um, if you're familiar with the GPL, you know uh, you know what the GPL does. It, it, it's if you specify just one version, you have you can um, you don't have permission to use any other version, like Linux kernel. Uh, if no version is designated, you can use any version. And many uh, many GPL v2 programs are licensed as GPL v2 or any later version. That's understood to mean that you can uh, sort of distribute downstream under GPL v3 or later version. Uh, most other copyleft licenses have a built-in or later provision and. Um, you know, it's a it's difficult a policy question. You know, what what you should do, which one is better, uh, and I think that the FSF it's interesting that that the FSF has been criticized for promoting the use of or later when these other copyleft licenses uh, have um, have not been criticized for having the built-in version So the com- compromise, which was suggested by Mike Linsvair, is that um, the default is that you have permission to use later versions unless the license or explicitly says you can't. So that's kind of the uh, Linux kernel ap- approach. Uh, license compatibility, um, basically it's, it's not necessary to have that Section 7 in GPLv3 as I was saying because, um, you know, the GPLv2 policy is kind of preserved because we still have this prohibition on imposition of additional restrictions. And you have explicit compatibility for the Apache license which is considered not <coughs> compatible with GPLv2, um, and it's outbound compatible with GP- any version of the GPL or a 3 or later. So. So it's, you know, there's, there's really no life difference in license compatibility. If anything, it's much more compatible than any version of the, of the GPL or a GPL. Uh, termination policy, um, you know, GPLv2 has this harsh automatic termination. GPLv3 has this very complex alternative approach, uh, way too complex than is necessary. Copyleft Next just says, uh, you know, it's, uh, you have a 30-day cure period and uh, on notice of violation and uh, if you cure within 30 days, you, you, know, you get your license back. Um, there's, a, there's a patent peace provision, patent retaliation provision, that is kind of like what's in the MPL 2.0. There's something like this in GPLv3, but it's sort of hidden away, so it's much more explicit by putting it in the termination provision. Uh, just talking about the process now. Um, so to understand um, the, uh, the legacy here, most free software licenses were not drafted transparently. So before GPLv3, basically you you drafted these in private, maybe with a lawyer, if you had a lawyer, and then you might circulate a draft publicly uh, on a mailing list or Usenet or something, you know, a month before promulgating the final version. GPLv3 changed that, had a a much more public process, but it wasn't purely public. And there were some problematic things about the GPLv3 process. It resembled, uh, in some ways, the worst aspects of the legislative and regulatory process, at least, uh, the, you know, what we see in the United States. Um, so the, there was basically, you know, a lot of private lobbying for particular provisions. Because, uh, funnily enough, many companies thought that this GPLv3 was really going to replace GPL GPLv2, and so they had a stake in trying to to lobby the FSF for for what should be in the license or not, and, and this, this bothered me a lot, and, and um, another, th- another experience that wasn't about free software license drafting but was a, an important effort uh, in the area of um, legal document drafting was Project Harmony, which was uh, an attempt to uh, write uniform contributor agreements. This was um, an effort that uh, you know, had a Chatham House rule, confidential mailing list. <laughs> it was like, the, it was sort of like gplv 3 in many respects, it was dominated by by these kind of lawyer interest groups. Uh, so, j- so, Copyleft Next uh, does something that is kind of unprecedented, I think, which is uh, to adopt the, the methodology that free software projects right. use. So, uh, you know, and, and my idea, maybe naive, was I thought this could encourage developers to get involved. Uh, so there's a there's a public Git re- repository. Git is the technique for, uh, for uh, you know, modifying the license. Um, there's, a, there's a public mailing list, a, an IRC channel. Uh, you know, I am the the uh, self-appointed ben- beneficial dictator, not necessarily for life. Most most of it is written by me. Uh, and as, uh, and I hope that isn't always the case. Um, there is a small community of participants. I'm very ambivalent towards increasing lawyer involvement, basically because of my my experiences in in these other efforts, right? Um, and also for you know, I don't. I'm kind of ambivalent about this promoting this effort, right? Um, so, so there's this thing we call the, the Harvey Birdman rule, and uh, that's just a, the name is just a private joke, but, but it's actually kind of significant. Um, the, the basically, um, the two goals of the Harvey Birdman rule, um, actually I think Bradley suggested the name. The, uh, basic maximize transparency in license drafting, and of, to avoid um, undue influence of non-developer interest groups, with basically lawyers, sorry. Right? Um, so, so the most important vision is that, you know, basically you're expected to talk about li- the license proposals for a substance of change to the license in public. So you shouldn't use private back channels. But if you do use private back channels, you, you have an obligation to cure that violation of the rule by um, providing a summary of what you talked about privately to a, a public forum. And in fact, Bradley and I have done this on a number of occasions.
0: I, I owe one, actually. Sorry about that. Yeah. What was the, what's the cure period for that?
2: <laughs> there's, no, there's no time period, but we should, we should <laughs> uh, So just like a few other like parts of this Harvey Burbank rule, you can see how this is designed to kind of keep lawyers at bay. So, so <laughs> if you let lawyers, lawyers control a license-trapping process, what technologically will happen is they will pass around redline Microsoft Word documents. And I don't want that to be the way this kind of license is drafted. So I, I think that lawyers should get involved, but they should—they have to meet the developer culture because this is supposed to be a license for developers. So, so no word processing documents, um, no Chatham House rule, nothing like Project Harmony. Um, you know, oh, no top posting. Uh, uh, so, so, so actually, to my surprise, to my surprise. Uh, This is designed to discourage lawyer involvement, in a sense, or or to kind of constrain (laughs) lawyer involvement. But but uh, Josh Gay, who's uh, who's the replacement for Brett Smith at the FSF, uh, attends to top host, so he's been kind of (laughs) given a warning about this. Uh, So I I want to, you know, while I still have some time, I want to talk about uh, objections. So so people said, this is just this is illegitimate, this will increase license proliferation. We don't need any new licenses. So. You know, the license proliferation argument, this is something we hear all the time. I think it's an overblown problem. There is license diversity in free software licensing, and I think we've gotten, you know, I can see in the commercial world that people have gotten used to this. It's just expected, right? Um, And it's a problem that's getting smaller over time because projects are using, you know, more standard, de facto standard licenses. So it's a disappearing problem if it even is a problem. There's not a problem of commons fragmentation if that's what the concern about license proliferation is because CopyLeft Next is, uh, it, it's GPL compatible um, in both directions, right? So there's no fragmentation of the commons. Um, so, you know, I, I, and that's kind of related to this idea that I, I see Copyleft Next as a possible gradual replacement to GPLv2, GPLv3. And you know, if the concern about proliferation is that, you, is that it's gonna be hard to understand lots of licenses, this is a license that places a premium on uh, comprehensibility. And then what about this idea that we shouldn't have any new, new licenses? That it's somehow wrong to draft a new license. Uh, this is this, this is the idea that you can't possibly improve gplv three, and I, I just don't know how to respond to this because it's absurd. This is, th- these licenses are not perfect; none of them are perfect. GPL is an, is worse than others. The Apache license could certainly be improved. The Eclipse Public License could seriously be improved. But um, but these are not perfect licenses. And but the, the more disturbing part of this is this what I see is a barriers to entry issue that um, only only a privileged set of licensed stewards. Um, are the ones who can draft new licenses. So so yesterday, Jerv gave a talk where he, he talked about helping out with MPL 2.0, but then he, he said, he had some comment about um, people who draft their own licenses. And it, it occurred to me, wh- why is it okay for Mitchell Baker to draft a license, but not in any other person? It's So I'm very disturbed by this kind of elitism that has developed in the free software and open source world that there are these these uh, the, the legal elitism that there are these um, powerful institute not necessarily powerful but but established institutions that control future license drafting so we can accept you know apache license 3.0 but uh no one outside the system uh, necessarily uh, has a chance of you know having their license become uh, uh accepted in, in this sense can i
3: defend myself from a charge of promoting
2: elitism yes <laughs>
3: I merely said that I merely joked that it was great if everybody wrote their own license, that like, it wasn't. I didn't say that only people who currently written licenses should write licenses, but I do think that there are a lot of a lot of people who attempt to draft a license to do a very bad job. Yeah, yes, that, that's true. You're
2: that's true. That's true. But the, don't think that the licenses that have that are widely used are so perfect because they're not. They have lots of flaws, and the reason we don't think about that is because they're widely used. So these are just some some possible future changes. I I want to have some kind of a pharaoh version of copyleft-next. I anticipate rapid versioning, Um, I don't know if that's going to happen or not. Um, More license compatibility. And maybe copyleft-next could actually become the basis for something I always used to fear, which is a kind of Creative Commons style suite of licenses embracing different policy uh, points of view in free software licenses. So there could be a a non-copyleft variant of copyleft-next. It was the proprietary relicensing poison pill that made me realize this. So that's a possibility. So this is information, I'll, I'll make these slides public, but this is how you can get, get to participate. And the hyena <coughs> is the proposed uh, mascot for Happy Nex. News. am by that, Please let me know. Uh, and that's it. Uh, Chris. Oh, okay. So uh, I'm actually curious about what you're
0: suggesting of basically these kind of variants um, that are almost either extensions of restrictions or
3: extensions by uh, waving uh, by waving things. So how do you intend to go about that in, uh, in what's the scope on that?
2: Uh, are you talking about the, the sort of Creative Commons style? Right, right. Or right.
0: And and I'm also curious uh, if if you end up creating permissive dash Max, then it would actually just be one big extension that just waves?
2: Uh, no. What I, have I ad- 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 what I anticipate is that you cut out sections. This is not an original idea. So Larry Rosen did this with the AFL and the OSL, which are not widely used licenses that he drafted. One is a permissive license. One is a copyleft license. They're basically identical except for one section. So that's what I kind of see. That you could, you might have optional sections, and so this is kind of what Creative Commons does because it has a lot of uniform uh, language in its license. I'm not. I have a lot of criticisms of Creative Commons licenses, but but uh, I think there's something that we, you know, could possibly learn from their approach. Uh, yes, Stefano? Um I wonder
0: whether once so you, you were you mentioned two reasons basically for this perceived decline of copyright. Uh, one is. Um, Habits of young developers, new generations, and the other one is um, uh, complexity. I, be, I wonder whether you have been considering other options, I mean,
2: other reasons. Like oh yeah, yeah. If you you can hear a recording of my talk at the Linux uh, Foundation collapse, on where I talk all about this. Uh, so so this is so, so the complexity argument is just is one one piece of it. It's okay. yeah yeah.
3: Thank you. Uh, I think I support a lot of your ideas and observations, so I think that's a very good project.
2: Patrick is welcome, but no, no no, Microsoft Word documents.
3: <laughs> yeah, you do wanted to extract lawyers, but it will not work. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I, have a, I have one question to you as a U.S. lawyer. So well, my observation of GPL3 is that there are many good ideas, but it's a little bit, the drafting is like German tax law. There, You see a lot of very specific rules that are correct and they have a background and GPL2 is is more generalistic and I think that's that's your approach so under under German law that that's very easy because you have a, an interpretation if you find the idea of the license and you have problems that are not in the license you can find solutions by interpretation yeah, so uh, I, I, is I, I, this and yeah. the, the US law the same? I think, for example, the, the ASP loophole, the US law has said there's a loophole in the GPL2 and have problems with that. And uh, the German law, I think we do not have any problems with that. We can say, OK, this is from 91. We have a new situation. What is the idea of the license? Yes, we can close that loophole with this license without any new um, new clauses. Uh, is this? Possible under the U.S. law.
2: I I, or believe, I believe it is, and I say that because I, I think that that it, that this is kind of the situation we have with GBLV two, and you know the, the FSF's interpretation has been very influential. Uh, you know, is it possible in in a formal legal sense under U.S. law? Um, uh, I don't know. Well, I, I think so. Um, it should be. Um, it, it, it's problematic because you know of course you have you have licensors with different interpretations and and um, but uh, but I, 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 you know as part related to this question is I anticipate that you know this project will eventually have FAQs that will get into like the kinds of details that I don't want to be in the license text itself because it will make it too complex.
0: Bradley. So um, so you didn't say this explicitly, but you have said on the mailing list that you you want to treat this treat license drafting like a free software license free software project, and there are of course lots of different types. Is that correct or no? The, sort of, yeah. yeah, yeah But, so, so, but the problem do. the problem I'm finding, and maybe, this could be my fault because you unilaterally tried to make me the co maintainer and I and I declined. <laughs> you um, had your so, chance. So I, I, I missed my chance in some sense. But uh, I noticed that, that I've submitted a lot of patches that have been rejected in a Linus Torvald style of just, you, know, you don't know what you're doing. And uh, none of my patches are in. If you look at the current version of the text, you wrote all of it. So no, if, if no. no. But it's no. You, you Look at the git plane, it's all you. So so my point is is that I don't feel like you're you're running it like a like a dictatorship. And I don't think that's the best government now that's no, a valid. Okay so problem. so let's move it to the see. Apache Foundation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all I will talk to Jim Zagelski,
2: I'm all for this. All right. We just have to put the text under the Apache license.
0: Well you see it's next to mine on plane home, so <laughs> yeah. you're gonna take <laughs> <not just> before we land. <laughs> uh,
2: any other questions? Uh, yes, Mark. If messages seem better than most developers' commit messages. Are you trying to? But, this is so. This is because Bradley criticized me for having very brief commit messages, and I thought, oh, okay, you're supposed to have long commit messages. I didn't realize that. No, but
3: so, are you, are you build up this body of thinking about the GPLv three that people can use later when they're the,
2: the you know? I I think it could it. Uh, so one thing that bothers me about GPLv three is that the FSF has not yet published a lot of the. In, a lot of the, the, the documents that, that were supposed to be made public um, that surrounded the drafting process. And, and so I, I, I do, I guess part of what has motivated me with some of those, oh hi, uh, commit <laughs> messages. I, I know that you, you've tried to do that. Maybe it's a resources issue. I can say something when you got it. Um, but, but that's partly, I, I, want, I want that story to be told to the extent that it can be told. Um, and that's the reason for some of the commit messages being kind of uh, elaborate. But it's, all, it's mainly that I thought, oh, you're supposed to have like lengthy commit messages um, I, I didn't realize that, and that, then I realized later on that many developers don't do that, so I was mistaken, or, or uh, uh, someone misled me. So It's not that it's not a good idea, it's <laughs> so lazy. Yeah, <laughs> I, I share that laziness, so, so. What's the story, John? Uh, so it's on, literally on the brink of being uh, done. Oh, that good, works, okay. Uh, Go Valiately, to get it done before you left,
3: before quite finished, the issue was that people each uh, committee in the process had different rules about
0: what exactly they wanted to made public from their internal discussions, and some of them did not do such a good job in removing personal information from uh, the exchanges. So we've had to scrub um, phone numbers. Oh, uh, I get yeah, yeah, that's all true. So it's a logistical
2: resource problem, but it's definitely been a goal, and it will happen. Yes. Um, Have you talked about excluding military use as an option? Because uh, I think every new license should... No, this is is going to be a free software license. This is a free software license. Uh, And and free software licenses allow military use.
0: most people know um i gave fontana a pretty hard time uh, like well, he initially named that project gpl next right which the fsf was obviously not happy with and fontana agreed to rechange to change the name um
1: i was surprised that he didn't work with the fsf to begin with though to be honest
0: well he's fontana <laughs> what does that mean uh, fontana likes to likes to be a likes to be a cowboy
1: <laughs> Can you elaborate
0: well, he likes to be out in the yeah uh, you know, out out in the the wild west doing things you know not not tied to any particular authority. that's his style
1: well, okay, so it's funny to think of a lawyer being like that yeah
0: he's a, he's he he's said he's, he's actually literally said before which is kind of a joke because of McCain that he's a maverick. It's the five like I'm a maverick. He said that. That's funny. He said it in IRC many times. Um but it's kind of a silly joke because it's because of McCain using it. When McCain well, it's
1: funny because I think of him as being a very uh very thoughtful licensing lawyer.
0: Well, yes. Um I, I mean I <sighs> So, so it's funny because this is a year and a half ago. And so my notes from a year and a half ago on this talk, I, I noted that I, am still, was still upset of him about the, like, removing the lockdown provisions from Copyleft Next. But now he's talking about putting them back in lightly. So. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. And the, and the Affaro clause too, for that matter. So
1: has it been active since then? I haven't been following it. He did
0: a couple of changes recently. Is there
1: engagement or? No I mean I, a I think
0: that he has? I think that uh, Fontana said this, I don't know if he said i this is where we haven't listened to the talk in a long time, but but he he's he's pointed out multiple times this is a personal project of his that he's he's doing as a as a volunteer leisurely kind of project that's his own thing. Uh, I think he was legitimately surprised that I mean this was part of the GPL next change into the name, copyleft next uh, issue that he was he was I think he was legitimately surprised that it got press coverage when he launched it.
1: I wonder why that is. I mean, he's one of the key authors of GPLv3. Um,
0: I don't I well, I, I he actually we had an argument, Fontana had an argument on mailing list about this. RMS says that he is the author of GPLv3, GPLv2 and GPLv3 publicly in his talks. So
1: Oh, really? That yes. He's the author?
0: But that's... I wrote RMS says in his talk, I wrote the GPL both B3 and B2. in the context he was actually talking about B3.
1: But he clearly wrote it with help.
0: Yeah, but I, I mean, I, I I wasn't in the room, so I don't know. But that's what RMS says publicly. He says he wrote the GPL. So, and I know what Fontana says about sections that he wrote. I I always think of Fontana as the primary author of LGPL v three, because I think he was.
1: I, I I mean, I he was definitely. I I don't remember what I said exactly, but I thought I said key authors, and I think he. I wouldn't necessarily.
0: RMS claims he is the author, the sole author. We had a Fontana had a back and forth on. But it GPL, obviously Violet's isn't true
1: that he's the only author.
0: That's what he says. I don't know. How do we know? We weren't in the room.
1: But you just referred to provisions that Fontana wrote.
0: Fontana claims he wrote. Yes, that's true. And I was talking with the LGPL, which I know that Fontana wrote large parts of that, mm-hmm. and Armas says that as well. That Fontana did write large parts of LGPL. I don't know. This is what RMS says. I. I, I I was n- I was busy as we said in this thread. This uh, I'll link to this thread in the show notes. We had a thread on GPL violations about somebody started asking who wrote the GPL, and so those of us who had knowledge about it started having this thread about. And I posted and so what that is, Arma what says that
1: Fontana say about this.
0: Um, Arma, well, he says his usual thing that some sections were written by various companies. He says that he there are sections that he wrote. Um, we had this long discussion of RMS as the final editor, and how much was his editing, how much was his writing. I basically ended up saying, well, I only know based on what you guys say, because there's...
1: Do you think he would say, that RMS would say that he was the author of the GCC Runtime Library? No, I don't
0: Inception. think so. No? Yeah. No, mm-hmm. I don't think so. Because I actually wrote most of that. And you and Brett were the other two co-authors. So I don't think RMS would take credit for that.
1: Well, I mean, he wrote some of it.
0: Um, he, 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 he made some suggestions. He marshaled
1: the process. Who, RMS? RMS. I remember being in meetings with him where he, you
0: know. I, well, no, the meetings we had with RMS about the GCC, this is off topic from Copy Left Next and Fathana's Talk, but the meetings we had with RMS, I recall being us trying to basically convince RMS of various things Right, we had to convince him. Right, he had to agree to the license. That's definitely true. He,
1: anyway, I don't want to reveal too much. I, I was, in that context, I was a lawyer yeah. acting on, you know, on behalf of a client, so.
0: Yeah, I mean, my, my uh, now that we're on the topic, I, my sadness about the GCC's runtime library exception was it all was done too late. And I actually said this on GPL violations org mailing list not too long ago that really the delay should not have happened and it should have gotten out quicker mm-hmm. because GCC really needed it and yeah. it, it, okay. it, it, it gave, it gave LLVM room.
1: I feel bad for my con- contribution to that delay, in, in a way, because... Uh, I
0: mean, the Fontana leaving, um, to that's, go, that's, Fontana going to Red Hat true. was probably the, one of the true. worst parts of it. And, and Let's blame
1: Fontana. Yeah, well
0: and, and the fact that for a long time there, before I dragged you into it, nobody cared. I mean, me and Brett were the only two people, Brett and I were the only two people that cared uh, for a while there for yeah. like six months it just took a lot i dragged time. We you into it drag- <laughs> you I, like, dragged me into it because i need because i needed somebody to work on it and but, and uh, Brett and i were the only ones that cared i mean rms didn't even care for a while there because he was too busy it, the just, it was so
1: hard it was hard work yeah and it's, anyway so yeah. let's get back to so, Fontana. so
0: i mean i think but i think the the relevance of that to this talk is that the creating these license policy documents is very difficult and, and so i disagree with fontana about this idea he he has this argument for concision That it makes me think of the Noam Chomsky quote about how, how concision is one of the most dangerous things in policy debates because it, it makes it so that you can only say the things that are usually said. Mm -hmm. Um, he, he talks about in the context of news that if you can't make a point, uh, coherently between two commercial breaks, you can never make that point in the modern media because it has to be so short. And so if it's something requires, something doesn't espouse what everybody already believes, you need more time.
1: Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's the problem with software freedom in general. How do we concisely explain its importance?
0: Yeah, and so, I, but I, I don't think that you can, and I don't think you can, I i, I don't like this idea that we just compare this to a Apache, if we, if we had a copyleft license shorter than the Apache license, somehow all would be good and people would like copyleft.
1: Brevity does help. I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not one of those people, I mean, I kind of think that like a, you know, a more nuanced approach, I know there are problems with the Creative Commons approach of having the, you know, the explanatory icons and the summaries, Um, but at least there is like a high level, um, you know, very easy to understand and then the real full license. Um, And I'm not, I know there are problems with that. It oversimplifies it. And, you know,
0: but I've seen this in so many different policy things, GPL enforcement as well, that when you address the issues that people use to attack you, they just find a different issue so i agree that people attack copyleft on length i mean if you look at the comments that um uh the 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 github founder made uh at Oskon at in 2013 um it's the same thing it's it's talking about how how it's a complicated license and so forth but what he really wants to say is it's uh it's restrictive quote unquote and and the mit permissive license is not and and so they're going to get to that conclusion one way or another. They're going to use length as an argument when it's long. If Fontana writes a pithy, short copyleft license that basically has all the policy goals, great. It should be used. It should be considered for GPLv4. RMS even said that in an email thread with Fontana about it, that experimenting with making a copyleft license better it, it can't, can't, can't be a bad idea. I think it's how RMS put a very RMS way of putting it. <laughs> um, But even if we get that – I'm not not saying the work's a waste of time. I don't think of that at all. I think the work won't solve the main problems that we have with people reacting to copyleft the way that they do. I think that there is the zeitgeist. Oh, I totally agree. I totally
1: agree. It's a messaging problem. It's not a license problem.
0: Oh, it's more than a messaging problem. It's it's that there is a an an uncoordinated conspiracy. It's not that everybody is conspiring against copyleft. It's that there are lots of interests now that would be happy for copyleft to just go away. And – I they would all have their it, own reasons. what did you say an uncoordinated, uncoordinated conspiracy. conspiracy? I
1: would not describe it in that way, um, but I agree with you about the underlying uh, issues, I suppose
0: yeah, I mean there's there's so many different companies that that don't want copyleft and now so I was talking about uh, openStack which Fontana is heavily involved with now um, is such a popular, huge project uh, and it's 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 a unique uh, microcosm to see what's going to happen with regard to the future of, of copyleft because it's this huge non-copylefted project that has all this interest and all this code going into it. Um, and it's, by most accounts, a very welcoming community, a very organized community, one that people can get involved with quickly and easily. There even There's even people pushing to end the CLA so that they don't have a CLA barrier, which is probably the biggest barrier they have in the OpenStack community, mainly because of <laughs> of a GPL violation defending lawyers like Mark Radcliffe pushing it. Um, but that's probably going to go away. And so, uh, hopefully, if they succeed in their efforts to get rid of the CLA and OpenStack. But even if that happens... Um, it's a permissively licensed project, non-copylefted project. Will will that succeed? And there's already plenty of proprietary forks of OpenStack. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think the the real challenge to copyleft. I've said this for a long time is is actually the the development methodologies have gotten beyond the ability of permissive licenses to say you don't want to leave trunk behind is what we used to say right. And so in the SVN days, CVS SVN days, it was difficult to maintain a branch forever. Software is better designed now. It's easier to maintain a forked version. Right. Um, a lot of things are plugin based and they make it very easy to add little proprietary add-ons here and there that do not necessarily drift from core. Uh, and that's what we'll see. And so I don't think, I, I, I mean, I, people keep talking about policy questions of GPL and I'm sort of like, well, when I look at it from two sides, one is the enforcement question where there's not enough GPL, copyleft enforcement anyway and the enforcement stuff is, is so difficult. And then on the other side, there's this zeitgeist of we don't need copyleft anymore. I'm not sure what Fontana's trying to do can help us in the short term and even the medium term, maybe super long term when the tide swings back to copyleft. The fact that Fontana sitting down, sat down and wrote a better copyleft license, if it turns out to be great, then we can use it at that point. But there's so many other problems we have to solve before we get there, at least for the future of copyleft.
1: I think it's true, but I, I do think that his, I do think that the effort is valuable. Yeah. Um, and, and I like the fact that it's there while there's nothing happening, you know, like while there's nothing urgent. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's funny, I have two, I have two minds about it because I'm one of the, I actually don't love talking about all the theoreticals of licensing. I'm one of the, you know, I'm one of the lawyers that's involved in the space who doesn't like to kind of pontificate and, and get involved in long license threads. Um, I found that very few women do as it, as it turns out, but, um, I'm not sure if that's a, a thing or it's just mm-hmm. the fact that the, the women that we have in our space are, Mm -hmm. you know, of different personalities. But so I'm a mix because I don't, I'm not inclined to get involved in the process. Um, if there's not some kind of immediate issue, but at the same time, I think it's really cool that it's there and that people are participating in it, hopefully over time.
0: Yeah. I, the, the thing I like most about, about Fontana's work is actually the meta stuff. Uh, I, I think that he was incredibly well informed by how badly GPLv3 process went. I, I, really was troubled by, and I've talked about this. I'll link to the threads on the GPL violations mailing list where I've talked about this publicly that, that I spent all my time trying to get the public comment process right and the public comments were more or less ignored. Um, in GPLv3. I was completely distracted by that because I thought, oh, this is great. It's going to engage the public. Um, and I was basically <laughs> hoodwinked into focusing on that while the real process was kind of this l- corporate lawyer-influenced thing. And to the extent to which, like we were talking about in the first segment, about RMS was the author or not, I mean, I think the, the danger there is that RMS was presented with a lot of options that came from those committees, which were... Creating false dichotomies and all sorts of stuff that that made it difficult, I think, to to well, discern the real issues. I, I mean, don't if- know.
1: I mean, RMS is. I one thing I've learned from working with RMS is he's really good at like looking through a lot of things and seeing the issues as they are. That's part of why, you know, we talk about the pluses and minuses of RMS's personality, mm-hmm. but that's one of the things that is always held up as sort of like the core of who RMS is and why he's so important.
0: But but the point about the, that I think Fontana learned from that process was to design the Harvey Birdman rule and this idea that there are certain. Remind
1: t- me of what the Harvey Birdman so, rule is again. Uh, um, I always forget because of the name.
0: It's, it's a, it's a goofy name. Uh, it basically is designed to to ferret out um a, a ferret out and and discard comments from lawyers who aren't engaged in free software um so it has a I'll pull up uh, let's just let's just read through I I mean I think that this if you want to look at copyleft next I mean it's great that the Fontana is working on these drafting but the Harvey Birdman rule as a um as a uh, it's funny i I searched the net for harvey Birdman rule and the, the second hit is one of my patches to Harvey Birdman rule um, rather than the actual Harvey Birdman rule, which is kind of cool um but uh it, it, it's it, the the center the center idea behind it is the the people involved in the process have to be basically in a free software way. So for the Harvey Bergman rule has, has five tenants. The first is uh contributions in as word processing documents are unacceptable and will delete immediately. So this idea of, oh I'm gonna send you a doc file with my comments kind of thing is not accepted. There's no private mailing lists, no Chatham House rule. Um, all, uh, public archiving, uh, public archiving is strongly encouraged. Um, archives aren't mandatory, but all discussion has to be public, uh, with regard to it. Um, private telephone calls, private conference calls, private in-person meetings, private email communications shall not be used to discuss substantive development. Um, and then there's this, this cool exception that he and I designed because Fontana and I would talk privately about his Copyleft Next product all the time. We, we would, we do this thing called the Harvey Birdman Disclosure where if you end up in a conversation where you talk privately, you're you're required to post to the mailing list a summary of that conversation. Um, as, a, as we call it, a Harvey Birdman cure, um, where where okay, we ended up talking about this. Let's take a couple of notes and post our summary of what we talked about to the mailing list. Which which every time we talk about copy next, we haven't in a while. We we post one of these to the mailing list. Um, so. Um, it,
1: it's interesting because yeah. I do think that it's appropriate to have private conversations with people who are working on behalf of companies because there are positions that they might not reveal otherwise. That's not to say that you should, you know, adopt the changes that are motivated by that. But knowing what they are and understanding how that fits in the overall context is not problematic. So the reason
0: I like HBR… Um,
1: HBR meaning the Harvey
0: Birdman. Harvey rule. Harvey Birdman rule, yeah. It's, it's, it's Basically, it was originally designed as an, as a, as an answer to C, as CHR, which this Chatham House rule… Monstrosity that the people adapted. And why
1: did you choose to make it Harvey Birdman, um, like after the comic, after,
0: the, after the, cartoon the cartoon character, cartoon character. Yeah, because he's. The, I mean, quite frankly, because he's an incompetent lawyer. And okay. Basically, the the idea was let's make sure no incompetent lawyers. Who, okay. Okay. He's an he's an incompetent corrupt lawyer, and basically, it's we want to keep incompetent corrupt lawyers out of, um, out of this process. Okay. That's the that's. I'm really glad. Joke.
1: Thank you for this because I've I've sort of had and yeah. I knew it was sort of what you were talking about, but yeah.
0: yeah. Um. Um, I I posted a long email at one point uh, about about why Harvey Birdman was the right analogy um, to the mailing list. I'll link to that in the show notes. But I I think that this idea of we will do all this discussion public, and if we end up having private conversations, we'll post summaries thereof. Um, I I think when you look at GPLv3, and so this weirdness of – so to look at the HP objections to GPLv3. So – Everybody knew HP was anti GPLv3. Their public statements were were against it because of the lockdown provisions. The real reason they were against it was because of the because of the patent provisions. And everybody knew that. But they the HP wasn't on record saying that. So in fact, I think it fed into the anti lockdown view of of mm-hmm. the Linux community, right? Cuz they're saying, well, HP doesn't like the lockdown. HP doesn't care. I'm I'm pretty sure now, having talked to many people in policy levels at HP, that they don't care about Lockdown. They don't want to lock... HP doesn't actually want to produce any lockdown devices. They're not Sony. They're not... Um, they're not Panasonic. They're not these these TV companies that have close relationship with the MPAA. They're not really interested in doing consumer electronic lockdown devices, but they do worry a lot about their printer patents, and they don't want to inadvertently license and you their think printer that the printer
1: patents. A Harvey Birdman rule would have prevented this. I'm not
0: because HP would have if, if HP wanted to be involved in the gplv 3 or the copyleft next drafting process, they would have to be on record about why they were objecting, and if they were willing to say to people like, because people were privately saying, oh, it's the patent provisions. But they weren't saying it publicly um you know i i think it was i I think i think that's something that would be helped by that because because if people want to opine about what the license what they're against the license for i mean i give the linux developers credit at least they were on public and they wrote a public statement about why they were opposed to lockdown provisions in gplv3 right so at least that big group of linux developers who did that they said so publicly
1: i agree with you that there's merit in talking about these things publicly but i'm just not sure i'm unconvinced that in every case that Mm that that not allowing anyone to
0: um, and I think, not saying and you, I think that, that conversation that you and I had with Apple should have been should have been public because it, w- it would expose uh, about GCC runtime library exception as a Uh-oh. great example, Uh-oh. where Uh-oh. Apple basically blew up their ability to to be okay with the GCC runtime library exception through bizarre objections. I'm not
1: sure. Okay, I'm really uncomfortable. I'm a little yeah. I'm a little uncomfortable yeah. right yeah, now, listeners. Not, don't don't say that. Okay. Don't,
0: don't comment on it. I'll comment on it as an FSEF director, and that's it. okay. Good, so good. You don't good, have to good. comment.
1: Okay, on. I'm not going. But to there's
0: comment an, on. and I've said that, pub- said publicly about Apple's objections. I've talked about publicly before, and I've, ta- I've coordinated with FSEF on this. Great.
1: Oh, great. So it's all good. fine. Oh, Do fantastic. not worry about that. Fantastic.
0: Um. Yeah. FSEF's no friend of Apple. They're happy to criticize Apple any, any which way to Sunday, um, because they deserve it. Um. But, totally. But, but the thing is, is that I wish I had that on record. I wish I had uh, uh, instead of me having to retell the story of what mm. Apple lawyers said that made no sense in their objections to ESR. CC- I wish we had them on record, making no sense. Well, they and would have
1: potentially participated less or not at all.
0: They'd barely participated anyway. But the point is, is that how much worse off are we? Are we at that point? And we sort of force them to either make a public comment. or It's say sort nothing. of tough
1: to quantify, but I guess we'll find out over time if, if uh,
0: it, well, if these kinds if of HBR becomes, uh, things are adopted. Um, and and uh, the other the other rules uh, I read the first three HBR oh, requirements. Yeah. The fourth one is no top posting, which I like. Um, but that's that's more of a. I think that's kind of jerky. Um, yeah, well, the thing is lawyers have the most tendency to top post. uh, It's because
1: it just, it's, it's sort of, that sort of excludes newcomers. That's an excluding newcomer provision.
0: Um, because the
1: standard for replying to email for most people who are not coming from a, you know, are not coming from an old school developer community is to top reply.
0: Um, but we didn't, uh, so, so famously on the mailing list, Josh Gay top replied, uh, and we pointed him to hop, uh, Harvey Badman rule and he didn't do it anymore. Right. I mean, it was, he was already like, we someone he's someone
1: who's already involved, someone who's not going to be going away. You say that to someone who's new, they're just,
0: uh, well, it, it depends on how you say it, right? It, um, it does
1: depend on how you say it, but it, it's kind of tricky to me.
0: Okay. Go yeah. on. Yeah. may actually that. Yeah. I think you've, you've suggested a, uh, probably where it says, therefore shall be ignored. We should probably change mm-hmm. to say something like. Um, will be, will be asked, will be requested to be rephrased or something like that or to be posted or okay. something. Yeah, I think probably ignored is a little, it's strict pretty there. harsh. That's ignored is harsh. The ignored part in there is harsh. I'll link to this Harvey Birdman rule in the show notes, by the way. Um, and, um, yeah, and so, and so then there's the, the Harvey Birdman modification copyleft, which is uh, patches the Harvey Birdman or what rule are welcome, but they have to be Harvey Birdman compliant to be accepted. So. You can't privately discuss Harvey Birdman.
1: Well, we've publicly discussed it now, so. and this
0: is this is acceptable. Actually, Fontana and I had a long debate about about audio recordings because they're so difficult to index and whether mm-hmm. it was acceptable. And we determine we we determine Harvey Birdman Rule is the thing I've been most involved with in Copyleft next because I was really <laughs> that that this is the part that I think was so interesting and mainly because it's it, I mean mainly as an anti CHR I've been very disturbed. Um, there, there was, I'll link to this in the show notes. There was recently this uh, blog post about a bunch of things that happened at the ELN conference, uh, regarding free hardware. And a bunch of lawyers sat down in the CHR covered room and had a discussion about they were going to decide what a free hardware license should be without, as far as I could tell, any free hardware practitioners being involved at all. And this sense that that's how we're going to make policy to me is very disturbing. And, While I'm not against Chatham House rule, it was designed for situations, for conversations where people can get killed if they were quoted publicly on their positions. Like things like the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and places where there's serious Violence at stake mm. as part of the process. There is not violence at stake. I, we definitely
1: overuse Chatham House rules. I, I don't
0: think it should be used at all. I don't think there's I, any I, justification I, for it in our probably community. agree with you on that. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. I happen.
1: think other kinds of like agreements about confidentiality under certain circumstances are mm. probably better.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've been maybe in rooms maybe. where people want to say something and they ask if that statement can be kept confidential. And I've agreed. You know, it's like it's like one statement. If, if you do it as a one off and say, I'm actually going to say something here, I really need to be confidential. I mean, granted, that wouldn't be HBR compliant. And we would have to say if it were a Harvard Birdman covered thing. Um, so you have to say it's an issue. Uh, but generally speaking, at, at a no HBR, no CHR governed meeting, we could do it and it would be fine. You can just have occasional confidentiality right. when right. it's absolutely necessary. Um, but yeah, so, so I, I mean, I, I think that's the HBR is really an answer to this obsession with CHR in policy so. making communities, which is why it's mentioned. by. That's entertainingly named. Um, yeah, I mean, that was sort of the goal was to, was to make it funny and I'll link to my post in the show notes about why I, why I like the HBR name. So. Um, so, and CopyLift Next is, I mean, I, I noticed Fontana, I get the emails on Gatorius when he makes patches. So I saw him putting some patches in as recently as a couple weeks ago. Oh, okay, cool. So it's still it's still under active development. Um, and I think Fontana and I as a as a, I mean, it's funny because when I made my original notes for this, we were so, we had so many to say, oh, look, he's, he's, here's, a, here's a patch uh, from just back in February where he added, uh, he put back in the Pharaoh uh, Clause thing into it. So um so yeah he's he's in he's in agreement with uh with uh with me on a lot of the policy points I was objecting. I think we're still not together on the lockdown part. Uh, I think he doesn't want the lockdown restrictions uh in in copyleft next. Um I think they're necessary. But actually I think we can get a lot of that through a better um I I the thing I'm most interested in and the thing I've actually submitted patches on is the definition of corresponding source in copyleft next because that's my biggest uh concerns that that's well-defined because we have so many people manipulating right. under gpl avoid trying to trying to underread what gpl says with regard to corresponding source or ccs complete corresponding source under v2 so that's the story
1: oh it's quote cool. the stallman is quoted at the top saying yes. exploring ideas for a modified copyleft license can't hurt yeah, that's not a, a ringing endorsement i don't know what is yeah that's
0: that's <laughs> pretty pretty ringing endorsement uh, as as rms gets um yeah, he shouldn't have organized the repository this way. Oh, he's working on a permissive Next, too, apparently. Uh, I see the repository. Um, so I guess he wants to replace the Apache license. So too. interesting. So folks should, should look at his project and, yeah. uh, and contribute. I mean, I, I think that I think that the best thing Copyleft Next is doing is it's, it's engaging, because it's designed like a free, I mean, his main goal, I think, in this was to design license drafting like a free software project, because the biggest problem he and I agree on that was wrong with GPL was there weren't enough developers involved. I mean, developers were basically barely listened to uh, in the GPLV3 process. Corporate lawyers were listened to. And the goal here is this is a license for developers. Developers should be the ones who design the license. I mean, GPL was designed by a developer. the initial GPLs were were designing mean, the design and of it at least were de, de, RMS as a developer designed the license. So I think developers should design free software licenses. Yeah, I not,
1: mean, I, as much as
0: I criticize the Apache Software Foundation, it's a license designed by developers, right. right? Roy Fielding is a developer, not a lawyer, and he designed most of the Apache too. So I, I, I mean, I, I don't necessarily agree with the Apache Software Foundation about much, but I like that their license is designed by developers, not lawyers.
1: Yeah, I mean, lawyers. I mean, lawyers are sort of the. uh you know, lawyers should serve their clients. So, you know, it's sort of.
0: But they don't want to. That's the thing that drives, drives me nuts. Is they want to be important policymakers rather than actually helping their clients. They want to control. Right? I mean, that's the Mark Ratcliffe problem in OpenStack right now with the, well, with the CLA. I
1: mean, the FSF ran the GPLv3 process. So.
0: Well, and it, it was, they made mistakes. And I, I think that the FSF would admit that, that. It was the first time they tried to do something like that. And anytime you try something the first time, you're going to screw it up. The problem was, the stakes were too high. Right. For a first time. And I wish I hadn't talked to RMS out of releasing 2.2. <laughs> mm. That's the biggest regrets, professional regrets of my life. RMS wanted to put 2.2 out in 2003 with the Afero Clause as part of the license and everything.
1: Wow. It's hard to predict how that would have gone.
0: I don't know, but it would have been better than what we got.
1: <laughs> you might, in an alternative universe, you might be saying that very same, uh... <laughs> I don't know. Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, we'll wrap that up, and, uh, and this was. Uh, I and we should apologize. For, for taking so long to put this yep. talk up.
1: Thanks for listening. Freedom is produced by Dan Lynch of Pod Factory and can be found at Podfactory.org, thanks to Mike Tarantino for our theme music. This episode of Free as and Freedom is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 3.0 United States license. You can follow FreeAs and Freedom, Bradley, and Karen on Identica, and also read Bradley's and Karen's blogs. Links can be found on the Free as and Freedom website, faith.us. That's F-A-I-F.us.
0: Everybody
3: went to bed early so that they can hear your talk. Yes. <laughs> oh.